Hi guys, this is John McGann from Max Tennis Academy in Ireland and I'm here with my co-host Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis in Spain. Together we've created the podcast Control the Coronables, which includes some of the top players from around the world. Our objective is very simple. We want to be able to educate, entertain and energize the tennis community during this very difficult period that we're all going through. Hope you enjoy our next podcast. Welcome to episode 16 of Control the Coronables. Today we have Emily Webberly-Smith with us, WTA player for the last 18 years. Shares with us her good experiences, bad experiences and ugly experiences. Why she's still on the tour after 18 years and how she's able to keep herself going from a financial and emotional perspective. How she's rebounded from seven major injuries, keeping her out of the game for six months or more. I promise you, it's well worth a listen. Enjoy the show. Pleasure to have you on Control the Coronables. Uh, from myself and Dan, a big, big thank you for giving your time to us today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And it's a pleasure to be here to be speaking to you both. Thanks a million. Um, just before we get into the podcast, I'd uh, just like to do a little bit of a, a profile for our listeners on you. Um, just uh, You've had a, a great career to date. You're still playing, obviously, and, and you're on a break with COVID-19, but you've had a career singles high of 240 in the world. You've played at Wimbledon, been in the second round of singles. You've got a career high in doubles of um, 113 in the world and currently ranked 145. Um, and again, from myself, an absolute pleasure to, to have you here on our show. Thank you very much. Yeah. That sounded good, Emily, didn't it? I tell you what, he's, he's bigged you up there. That's, that's amazing. I feel like I need a grand entrance and I'm walking onto the centre court or something. <laughs> it, it's, well, it's well deserved, you know, it's been a, it's been a fantastic career and, and we're looking forward to kind of digging into it really and, and digging into some of your thoughts and I'm sure your views that you've created all, over your time. But firstly, I guess we, we've got to get into how, you, how you're coping with the situation currently. Yeah, it has been a, it's been a very strange time and I think uh, for a lot of us, we... As tennis players, it's the longest time I've certainly been home for a very, very long time. Um, probably since since I since my burns, which we'll cover later on. But that was well, a few years ago now. Um, so from from that point of view, it's actually been quite nice to be home and not packing and and not travelling, and actually spend some quality time with family. Um, but I miss competing like crazy. Um, I'm not very good at sitting still, so I've I've kept pretty active and. Uh, kept a good routine to what I'm doing um, but it has been uh, it's been very very weird and, and not knowing I think as well um, in a similar way to being injured when you're not quite sure when you can come back um, that not knowing is difficult to plan um, where, where training and where everything else is concerned um, but yeah it has been uh, it's been nice in some ways as well. No it is and, and I think it's one thing that would be interesting to hear your thoughts on is when you are injured, others aren't. So, yes. so, so people are, you've also got that, that horrible feeling of oh, people are overtaking your rankings, dropping. Has that been a little bit easier? The fact that we're all in the same boat, all tennis players are in the same boat right now. 
Yes, I think from a ranking point of view, that definitely has been because it means that you can start back because they protected our rankings. Um, it means that we can start back pretty much where we finished. Yeah. Um, but that certainly doesn't mean that um, you're, I'm not aware that obviously everyone's working, everyone's doing as much as they can in their own way. Um, and tennis is so competitive that now wh when I come back, I'll be absolutely ready to be back. Um, I don't want there to be a time where um, I don't feel physically ready or where I haven't done all the things that I've wanted to do um, at home before that, because this, this time also is gold for, from that point of view of actually just catching up on yourself a little bit, um, doing some mental work and doing a lot of the physio, um, you know, rehabilitation and, and core work that, um, that you can do as well as any other high impact stuff, which we often as tennis players don't get, don't get those six week windows or 12 week windows to do. Um, so that's been, that's been good from that point of view. Um, but I do think that um, it's very easy to slip into that. It's okay. Cause nobody else is competing. Yeah. Um, and I'm aware that um, I want to be ready. Yeah. <laughs> that's great, Emily. And what, what are the areas that you feel you can really excel in now during these times that we're off to, give you the best chance to come back hitting the course running when, whenever we do get back on court? Um, I, wrote, I write my own physical program now. Um, I've done it for enough years um, and, and picked what, what works for me. And, and I've also learned a great deal about what doesn't work where physical training is concerned. Um, Jez Green oversees um, anything I need to ask or anything I'm not sure about. Um, I'll ask about a specific session. Um, or if I'm not sure how to achieve something, a particular physical goal, um, then he'll help me manipulate ways to do that if I'm not sure myself. Um, but from my point of view, I started with a three, three weeks of endurance and I'm just coming to the end of three weeks of speed endurance. So I've done a full a block of six weeks coming up to Sunday. Um, and then I've combined my sessions around that um, whilst mixing in my core injury prevention and yoga and ballet actually um, around that within that um coming into next week i want to try and get done three weeks of power um and then we'll see in terms of how many weeks i have if i have another three weeks i would then turn that into three weeks of speed and movement um being the priority which would make 12 weeks in total um by which point i'll be absolutely chomping up the bit just to play some tennis properly um but from a physical point of view that's what i've been doing and it's been working well i actually I had my um, full medical and full physical testing at Indian Wells um, the weekend before they stopped everything. Um, and the results from that were really, really good. Um, and I was really proud that at the time I actually felt in the best shape of my life, um, yeah. which was unfortunate because I didn't have anything to play. Yeah. Um, so from my point of view, it was, you can always get better, of course, um, but it was kind of maintaining that level of so many things that I got to. Um, and then just trying to improve a few little things around that um, and to keep me to keep me mentally strong and, and court strong as well during this time. On that, Emily, when you mentioned Jez, yeah. when I think of Jez and I think of you, I remember running up some hills at, <laughs> yeah. at, at Bath University many, many years ago. And, and, and I suppose that it, it's amazing that obviously one, that you've still got that great relationship with Jez and obviously he's, he's world-class at what he does. So, so that's brilliant. Yeah. But I guess my, my question turns to, I guess, reflective time a little bit, you know, to have, like you've said, it's, 
it's 10 years since you haven't traveled like this. So it's, yeah. we, we rarely get in, in life, not just specifically tennis, we rarely get this amount of time where we can actually maybe take stock of, yeah. of things. And, and, and I guess it leads me into a couple of things. One, what are your reflections on your own career? Um, which is potentially a big question in itself. And, and secondly, what are your reflections on the sport of tennis and any potential change? I think? Yeah, if I, if I start with um, my own career, I think I'm someone that throughout the time I have had periods where I can, I have had time to reflect and I've had to look inside during that time as well. Um, so it's not like I've been go, go, go. And then suddenly now I've got all this time on my hands. Yeah. Um, so I have, I've had seven surgeries um, of six months or more. Um, and I've, I feel very proud that I've able to come back um, from those. And when, when other people ask me my biggest achievements in tennis, that would be one of them, um, is that I am still, that I've got myself back healthy and that I'm competing um, and loving what I'm doing. Um, but from reflecting on where I am right now, um, it's actually been really interesting to, to realize that I was in the once those results came through to realize that I was in the best shape of my career, um, which at the time you're just on this constant treadmill of trying to um, recover, trying to work hard and just totally in the process. Um, so that's kind of allowed me to look back at what was the process that got me in, into that, into that good shape. And I now, I now know that I, I don't do anything unnecessary. Um, and as I've got older, the only difference I felt, um, looking back over my career um, is that it is a little bit harder to recover um, yeah. from long flights, especially, yeah. uh, but also I'm not able to do um, the same number of weeks back to back as I perhaps would have done um, in the past with the same quality. Um, yeah. I think from a physical point of view throughout my career, I've, I've, I've had ups and downs all the way through um, and I have worked with a number of different trainers but I think you start to know your own body and, and to be able to listen to your own body more. Um, and that still, that still means that running up hills. Um, well, that's when I saw, <laughs> I, I saw the Instagram post and I was yeah. like, oh, she's still doing that. You know, like yeah. so just... that session, it's gold. It doesn't change. Um, two sets of 10 up the longest hill, pretty much that you can find somewhere between 30 seconds and a minute hill as steep as you can find. Um, and turn up, have a rest for 90 seconds, like a, like a change of ends, and then turn up again. Um, and you get about halfway through the, the second set and you question everything about yourself and what the hell you're still doing on a hill um, in the middle of Gloucestershire on a rainy Monday. Um, and then you finish the session and I'd like to say you feel quite good, but you actually don't. You feel completely sick and... <laughs> And you feel terrible. And then about an hour later, um, you start to feel quite good that you've achieved another session on the list. <laughs> Absolutely. And before I have to jump in before you move on to the second question, because to do that, and you've been doing that, I guess, for how long would you say you've been on the tour? 17, 18 years? A long time. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I went pro at like, I went pro at 16, but I wouldn't really consider myself that until I was 18. Um, yeah. I'm now 35, so. Yeah. You know, so, so, so the fact that you've, you know, you've, con you've continued doing that, that doesn't, that doesn't just happen. And I'm, I'm a big believer that motivation in all of us comes and goes a little bit. It moves up and down. So motivation can't be the, the real rock that fuels that. So what, what does fuel that? Um, my love of playing. 
Um, I, it's very simple. When people ask me how I'm still playing and how I'm still motivated to do those kinds of sessions, um, it's very simply that I love playing tennis. Um, and I feel privileged that I can still play um, and that I'm still in really, really good shape enough to play. Um, and why not? Like, I just think I've given, my, I've given my life up to this point to made a lot of sacrifices to play. Um, and the only thing that has made me question that over the last couple of years is mum and dad's health um, and being home more for, for family. Yeah. Uh, and that's why this time in a way for me is that I've actually been really grateful to not have those decisions to make, um, yeah. to actually be able to be home as much as possible and, and, and help and be, and be around. Yeah. Um, but other than that, there's, there's been rarely a time when I've questioned um, what I'm doing and to be motivated is very easy when, when you love what you're doing. I don't love running up hills anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I love playing. And if that means that I have to do track and hills and flights and be away more than I'd like to be, then that's okay because it's worth it for, for playing tennis. And it's so lovely. It's so lovely to hear that. And I think it's, it's, it's important for younger players to hear that out there. You know, that, that for, that's what it comes back to, you know, yeah, without, I think, without I think, that. You know, you, you've obviously had some experience of that as well at the academy where people come in, parents come in and they, the first question they, they normally ask is, actually, what do I eat? Is probably the first question. Um, and then secondly, they ask me, um, what, you know, what do you think is the most important thing for my, yeah. my daughter or son? And it's just enjoyment because when you are in the middle of nowhere or when you do go bankrupt twice or when you, you are running up a hill or when it's really, really the worst times um, you're leaving your family behind and everything else. Um, the only thing it comes down to is whether you enjoy playing. Yeah. And tennis is so fun. Like it's such a fun game. Um, even if I'm, you know, haven't played for a couple of days and then I get on the court and there's like some fun touch game or some, some points or something, it's such a special game. And I, and I yeah. hope that when people learn it in, in the future, it doesn't just become about forehands and backhands and perfect technique and, and perfect ways yeah. of playing. It's just a game. Like, yeah. And that is what's kept me inspired and kept me interested is that actually it's a game and it's quite hard. I find it quite hard. Yeah. Uh, so that's, what's, that's why it's interesting is because yeah. it is, it's a challenge. And what a privilege it is that we're all involved in it and been involved in it for so long. It's actually a couple of things. One, Hilt, Mark Hilton, who you, you, you know very well, he talked about that as well as from a coaching point of view. There's always something to get better at in this sport, you know, and that's, you know, there's never, it's never the finished article. And that's, I think that's one thing that drives us. And just on your point, actually, my, my um, complex that I live, at, live in Spain, there's a professional golfer lives here. A Spanish guy, I won't go to his name, he's a pretty famous professional golfer, and he actually fell out of the European tour, so he went from being, I think he was top 10 in the world at one point, but he actually then fell fell off, he lost his card, <clears throat> and, and I've spoken to him a bit, quite a bit about this, and he said, well, what he had to do is he had to reconnect with his love for the sport yeah. and his enjoyment of the sport. And that's all he did. And he, and he literally, for like the next two or three years, he played on lots of minor, minor tours, but just got his absolute love of the sport back. And he's now back on the European tour, doing very well. And, but that's his only focus. That's, you know, he said that that's where it all comes from. And I think, you know, we're talking about, I mean, he'll be, 
he'll be pretty much my age right now and, yeah. and we we have to get that installed in in youngsters from a young from a young age you know? and i think you know it, there's also an awareness that it's not all roses you know when you there are times when i certainly haven't enjoyed playing um or when you when you lose a few first rounds on the bounce and you're just like what where is this going what's happened here um but it does always come back down to then um finding something you'll find yourself laughing at a funny point um particularly with my doubles where um that has even when i was struggling with singles and i could get on the doubles court um that's it was always fun and creating tactical situations and even you know fun close volleys and, and all that stuff that i love the most yeah. um, is actually what what it comes down to but i think little ones especially like if they if they're not enjoying parts of it at that age you 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 have no chance um in terms of the longevity that we're looking for because yeah. it's a tough old sport and if somebody said to me would i want my children to play in the future um, I'm not sure that I would want them to be professional just because of how tough it is and how lonely it is. Um, but in on the flip side of that, I would love them to love tennis like I do, um, and to love to love the sport um, as much as I do. Yeah, yeah, it's it's unbelievable that, that you're you know you've kept that motivation, you've kept that love, Emily, for the sport because, like you said, okay, the the game is amazing. It's an unbelievable game, but getting on a plane you know, flying halfway across the world, you know, and then, like you said, you could go on the trot for a couple of weeks and, you know, lose first round, second round, you've got the rest of the week ahead of you. How do you keep that motivation when you're out there on the actual tour? Do you, do you travel with anybody or is it on your own? How do you keep that up? Yeah, I mean, for the best part of my career, um, for the most part of it, I've traveled by myself. Um, I am comfortable with my own company um, and in the early my early 20s I found that quite difficult to deal with that my friends were at university having the time of their lives and I was on my own in China or Uzbekistan or, or somewhere um, and the women's tour is slightly different to the men in that the men seem travel to say the least um, they travel together more in groups um, at a younger age to futures and things like that. Whereas the girls don't, they tend to be more on their own. Um, but I have noticed over the last, certainly the last five years, as the games got more professional, that everyone or 70 to 80% of people are traveling with a coach or with a parent. Um, and that's quite hard when you're one of the few people who are still traveling by themselves. Um, I'm very organized with my practices um, and there, there are occasions when it's tough because people have got hitting partners and whatever else um, but most of the time as long as you're on it absolutely on the ball with what you need out of the day um, if you plan your days and you you know enough people on tour from a practice point of view um, from finding people to play with it's not too bad um, the problem that I have the way that I play is quite specific and I've also found with doubles that it's more difficult to practice the things that I want to practice without someone standing there and feeding balls. Um, and there's ways around it. And if you've got someone that you've been traveling with a little bit more, like a doubles partner that you've played with regularly, that helps that someone can stand there and do the drill that you want to do. Um, but I do find it quite hard to be selfish and say, this is what I want to practice, um, particularly because a lot of the girls play in a different way to the way that, that I do. 
um, and I can't just chuck in a drop shot when, when we're doing cross courts. Um, I, I, I more often than not do, um, but because that is the way I play. Um, but I worked with, I worked with Dustin Brown's coach um, who used to coach Dustin um, for a period of two years around 2012, 2013. And he was one of the first coaches that I'd worked with that really saw my game and wanted to only practice in that way for my, for my tennis. And he stopped me from doing anything unnecessary whatsoever. And to travel with him, it was amazing. I had a little bit more money at the time. So we did blocks of three weeks um, where we could make it financially um, workable for both of us. And it was so interesting um, practicing with him in that way that we did a lot of baskets, but we also did any single time that I could come in off, off a particular shot, I would come in. Um, even if we were rallying up and down the middle in the first five minutes, if the ball was short, I was coming in because um, that's how I play. Um, and when we were practicing returns, I was coming in off the return, um, which is how, how I also play most of my doubles um, and some of my singles. I should do more in singles, but... Yeah, sometimes that gets lost by the by. <laughs> um, but and the belief that that kind of game style can work and it can cause people problems. And that's why if if players do have a chance to travel with a coach, it's absolutely gold because you can just listen and just absorb all the information and learn. And that for me was just one of the best one of the best times. And I learned so much from being with him um, during that time. Um, from a latter point of view, in the last couple of years, I've worked down in South Africa with Anthony Harris, who coaches Lloyd Harris. Um, and I've loved that. And to start with, Anthony was puzzled by my my way of playing and my, my tennis, which most people are, <laughs> um, until they see me play a few more matches and then they begin to understand that it does work. And I was coming off the back of four months um, out when I started working with him when I, I burnt my legs really badly um, with hot water and when I started at that academy by pure chance I was down in South Africa I had a boyfriend down there and I just walked into the academy wanting to hit some balls and from that moment his positivity and his enthusiasm and his passion um, for the game just came across and we actually learned that I probably would have met him when I was 11 or 12 years old playing Sully Hall and, and those summer tournaments because yeah. he was working with Judy Seller at the time, who was my, you know, around my year. So you meet people along the way that you find inspiring and you take bits from them. Um, and if I had money, I would give it to a coach and say, let's do this. Um, that would, any time I have a little bit or I've done better in a few tournaments, I then invest that back. Um, into learning and, and into traveling with a coach but there's no doubt that um, it's very very tough when you are on your own and um, it takes a lot of grit I'm, I'm a little tougher than I look um, it takes a, a lot of grit and a, um, a sheer resilience to negativity and to what other people are thinking um, you just you just stop caring, and I think as you get older as well, Dan, you probably find that from yeah, a coach. Really. If you believe in your what you're doing, um, it doesn't really matter what other people think along the way. And and so many people say, "Oh, why are you still playing? Why are you still playing?" And it's very simple. Whatever. Screw them. Screw them. Yeah. This it's such a great answer. During that answer, I reckon I had about 
between 17 and 25 questions came into my head <laughs> <laughs> because I think you, I think you, you opened up so many doors then. It, it's such, such amazing, amazing insight into it, you know, and I think it is something that's very special about our sport that not, not many people understand that aren't in tennis it is, yeah. is the, the expense, which I want to, which I want to touch on. Um, secondly, finding a coach that you connect with you know and it sounds like you know you've you've found a couple along the way that you've connected with on a personal level connected with on a game identity level you know and really understood and, and exactly that the gold dust the gold dust of that but the realities are that costs money and that's one you've got to be able to find the right person and two then to be able to make that work financially so i I, w I want us to give as much information to people that are listening to these podcasts that's real. <laughs> yeah. You know, what, what are the realities of the costs of being a tennis player? Um, yeah. And, ha and you've, you also touched on 80% of players are now, you think, are traveling with coaches. How? How, yeah, how does I mean, it happen? That for me is, is a question. And I, I actually don't know how people around my ranking and a little higher and quite a lot lower are traveling with a coach on a full-time basis. I don't know if that's rich parents, good sponsors um, or federation support, but all I know is that it's absolutely impossible um, to do that. Even with all of the ways that I've tried to find, um, I'll give you an example. This year I chose not to do a preseason because I competed right up until the end of December. And I felt that I was in good shape and I felt that the priority for me in my last couple of years of playing was competing and playing and, and the opportunities that I wanted from those tournaments. Um, I felt that there'd be a time later in the year when I would have time to do a physical block, which obviously now has, has been extended. Um, so I started in January um, with a couple of weeks training, but I coached for three weeks um, to make enough money to start the year. Yeah. And I coached as much as possible in London, um, individuals with people, with children, with adults, um, and made enough money for me to fund my first two trips of the year with flights and, and the other expenses. Um, having done that, and I didn't have a particularly successful start, I also realized that um, I compromised my level of practice by coaching on my days off mm -hmm. and by coaching in the evenings after my own practice and my physical training. Yeah. Um, and I actually started the year a little tired uh, yeah. because of that. And there's always that takeoff. And it's happened to me a number of times where you want to be in the most professional environment that you possibly can put yourself in. But in order to do that, there's no point in me being super professional, but not having the money to travel. So for me, I had to make other sacrifices where I did lose some hours, but where I had a little more money that I felt more comfortable that if I did lose a couple of first rounds, I'm not panicking about how to get to the next week, which would have been the situation if I hadn't coached in those three weeks in January. Yeah. Um, from a personal point of view throughout my career, I've, I've been a waitress, I've worked in a bar, um, I've coached, I've been a nanny when I've been injured. Um, I've um done blogs i've written for people that i've got paid for um i've worked for a tennis holiday company that as an ambassador for them 
Um, And any little bits of money that I've been able to make by doing that um, has then gone straight back um, into a trip or living day to day um, with the expenses that tennis. And I think that that's the inspiring bit for me. And, you know, that's the, that's the re if I'm on it, when I was thinking about podcasts, who would I like to speak to? That was, you know, I've obviously, we go back a long way, but I also watch you and support you from afar. You know, that's the way the world works now, you know, and, you know, I'm always, always will always have a very close relationship and, and me looking in and want you to do well. But I've looked from afar and gone, it's, it's amazing and it's inspirational how you've kept doing it the right way, you know, yeah. from the outside, you know, and, and, and I always, I do believe if there's a will, there's a way to a degree. And, and it's, and it's, yeah. what's yeah. that? There's a, if there's a will, there's a way, just. Just, there. exactly. Just by the skin of your teeth, you can. 100%. Make it work. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's, it's, it's about, again, for people listening, it's not, there's two points that I have to make here. One, there's value, value is different to money. And, and, and that's something I know that let's take it at the academy the professional team that we've had over the years, it's been, it's not necessarily been players that have come in and necessarily paid money or much money. But they have provided value to the academy in other ways yeah. through, through being the cultural leaders, through being people that you want to have around, through people that then connect with the youngsters and, and are really part of what we're trying to create. Um, yeah. You know, through being, you know, marketing, you know, marketing of just word of mouth and good results and, you know, association. You know, and I think that's, that's, that's one thing. The second thing, how ridiculous, and I know it's been talked about right now quite a lot. Yeah. But co- how ridiculous is it that, you know, you're, you're, you're right now, you're top 150 in the world as a doubles player, uh, you know, and still got a, a good singles ranking, that, we, that our sport can't provide a platform for, for somebody like yourself. And there's, and there's many out there to be able to just make a good, honest living yeah. and, and do this the right way, you know? And yeah. I, I thought- And I, that's one of the issues that recently has come up so strongly, but has been around for a number of years. Um, I feel from my point of view, um, during this time, I actually disagreed with some of the arguments about um, during this time off that we should be getting money from people. Um, yeah. I. I I find it hard and, and my dad has always, he, you know, he's worked every day of his life. He's retired now, but um, I, I find it hard to sit down and, and expect money to come just by, just by not working. Um, yeah. And there's absolutely no reason why um, during this time there aren't ways to make a little bit of money to keep going. It, it doesn't, it's nowhere near what we would perhaps make, um, you know, from a different job or from, or from something else. But even an example of the, um, French Open doubles guy who from Germany who's working in Lidl, um, this, and you know he doesn't need he doesn't necessarily need the money for to live on, but maybe that you know it's going to come in useful at some point. And he said, yeah, I had a very good year last year, but you never have that security that that's going to happen again. Yeah. Um, from my point of view, I that's where I didn't make too much of a stand that I didn't expect somebody to cover me during this time perhaps perhaps that's wrong um and 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 is related to how i've been brought up um but definitely it doesn't lie with this time the problems lie with the fact that um we don't get paid well enough the rest of the time and a lot of us wouldn't be in the position that we were in now if we had that little bit to fall back on 
you know, during six weeks off from work or an eight week sabbatical off from work, we should be able to survive that with the money that we've made the rest of the year being top 200 in the world at what we do. Um, And I do think that from definitely from when I've played and even since you've played, the money hasn't changed in, in futures and challenges. Even 15, 20 years before that. It's absolute madness. And the cost of living and all the expenses that go with that have changed a great deal. Um, and I just, that's astonishing to me that that's happened. And a lot of people have said to me about the ITF and the players board and everything else. And I think Andy's great that Andy comes out and says, um, in the, particularly in the financial position that he's now in, um, is that he gets it and he knows that, um, that it has to change. Um, I don't necessarily agree with the top players giving us their money. Um, It's not their fault that they've been as successful as they have and that the tour is so heavily, um, you know, weighted towards the top end. Um, But I do think that overall, the whole thing needs a massive overhaul. Otherwise, tennis will die. And people, and, and we're not talking about, you know we're not talking about people who are who are 1500 in the world even being, being able to play we're talking about people who are playing grand slam qualifying um who are not able to get there or who are not able to fly um to tournaments and every financial decision i make every schedule decision i make as you know probably um at the academy is related to whether i can make it work from a money point of view Absolutely. Um, and that is such a shame that I'm not making decisions based on is that the right tournament for me to go to. Um, so it is yeah, very well said. Very no. area. Yeah, I, I read something actually on um, this morning. I think there was a Leighton Hewitt, <coughs> Leighton Hewitt did an interview with Sam Groff overnight, I guess, in, in Australia. And he'd made the comment that James Duckworth, who had kind of been back and forth and then made made his way back into the top 100, you know, he's just about breaking even. And yet the big guns have said, you know, anyone in the top 100 will be paying X amount towards towards these players. And he was saying that that's not justified over a player like that. And then there's been journalists that have been then tweeting today saying, Leighton, you had said that he's just about breaking even, yet he's made 120,000 dollars this year now again if that if people look at that he's made he hasn't made you know that you know that's the amount that's come in but the expenses that everything else that goes on top of that he might have come away from this bit but that's maybe paying for the debt from the year before and the journey to get there as well and that's that's something that doesn't happen in in other sports that that's where I think it sometimes falls down on, on a bigger scale because people don't understand that that point. Yeah, I think it's the, it's the same old thing of, oh, look what they get for first round prize money. And that's not what you get paid on that day. That is 25 years of sheer hard work um, going into you know that moment. And the prize money in one column um, can look sometimes very, very good for a particular week. Even yeah. at my level, you know, you win a big challenger or you win a WTA and it looks pretty good. Um, but people forget to see, even you'd only have to look at my receipts to see the prize money receipts like this and then the expensive receipts like this. And it's one of those times when um, people are just totally unaware of how much it costs to play tennis and random random strangers or people that I stay with say, oh, so who, who, takes, care of, um, who takes care of your flights and your hotels and everything? And you're like, well, I do. Yeah. 
Um, and they're like, oh, but isn't there like an overall sponsor that sponsors the players? I'm like, no, there isn't. You're, you know, you're out there on your own. Um, the one thing that I found playing more WTA tournaments is that the accommodation is covered. Yeah. Um, mostly, which helps a great deal. Um, and for me, I feel so much less pressure playing, um, knowing that the hotel bill is covered. Um, you know, I've had matches in my mid-20s when I'm literally shaking. Um, yeah with nerves as to how on earth I, if I can make this work if I'm at, like say first week of a week of four and I've lost in singles how the hell am I going to get the flight to the next place or or the hotel paid for um and it's a horrible pressure to live with um but on the flip side of that we wake up and what it comes down to is we're getting paid to do something that we love doing yeah and that for me is still worth it for all of those times um but that like almost physical sickness of not having the money to continue doing it or like you said at the beginning not being able to do it in the right way um is something that scares me every single day and i'm not sure anymore that it should be um one of my i would absolutely love to travel 20 weeks of the year with a coach that would be gold for me now Um, particularly at the level that I'm at that I think the majority of the learning that I would do would be on the road yeah. um, of someone watching my matches and getting some feedback and seeing some very specific things from, from what I'm doing because the margins are so much smaller between winning and losing. Um, but that's, yeah, at the moment that's not an option and I think it should be at my level. And on the flip side of that, Emily, just quickly, it's the same for coaches. So yeah. if, I, if, you know, if I take my personal situation, I love traveling, I've got a, but I've, I, I have a family and, yeah. and, you know, and I probably do travel 17, 18 weeks a year, which is you know, quite a lot. And, and, I, and I do that because I have a real passion to help players. Yeah. But however, every time I travel, the academy loses money. And, because yeah. they, and it's just know. not realistic. Even from your point of view, you, know, you might have a mortgage, you've got family, you've got school fees. And I, as a player, you feel very much... It, uh, the one thing where I don't feel like it works is I don't feel like it even works properly if a coach says, oh, I'll do a couple of weeks with you to help you out. Because yeah. um, I think eventually it creates problems and yeah. people should be paid their worth for the work that they're doing. Yeah. And when you walk on as a coach, you want to feel valued, of course, from the player's point of view, but you also, you do need in the long term, it's not realistic to work mm-hmm. for, you know, for helping someone out when, when yeah. that's great to do for good karma and everything else but actually from from a from a family and from a professional point of view as well you know you've got skills and you've got things which you need to teach the player which you've spent years cultivating and learning and that should be able to be paid for yeah absolutely yeah the the, the points you're making emily are they're phenomenally just so realistic to to the to the game today and like you said from 20 years ago it doesn't seem to have changed that much i'm actually laughing a little bit to myself here because i remember a long long time ago now but remember winning a title it was a fifteen thousand dollar event out in nigeria and i remember coming back home to ireland and talking everybody thought i won fifteen thousand dollars it was far (laughs) it was it was far from it I can yeah. tell you it's like one thousand two hundred and twelve dollars or something. Yeah, like if, that. I, if I got that, I think I don't think I made. I think I lost money anyway on the trip yeah. after winning the event. 
but I, I guess what, I, what I'm coming at here is like obviously highly motivated. You're a highly motivated individual. You love your own company. You're, you're relentless uh, every day in what you're doing. I also follow you on, uh, you know, your travels on social media and where you're going. I would have remembered you playing a long, long time ago as well myself when I was playing at certain events around the UK. But where you are now, do you have other, is there other things that drive you? So, uh, like, if I yeah. can picture myself back when I was playing, that, I, like, I, I had certain things that I wanted to achieve in the sport and that kind of that kind of drove me to a, to a place and I wanted to get I wanted to make those things happen what 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 is your driver now what's your big driver to keep you playing in the game here besides so the love of it yeah so there's two there's two answers to that the first is that I genuinely want to be the best that I can possibly be um, and so from a process point of view I still think I can get better I think I could get better faster with a coach, um, but that's not my situation right now. And I've come to terms with accepting that more, that the best possible that I can be with what I've got in my, you know, in my armor. Um, that's the first answer to that. Um, the second answer to that is that I want to play all the Grand Slams. Um, I don't mind so much whether I'm 100 exactly, 99 exactly, um, to have made top 100, yes, is a lovely thing to say. Um, but not many people are going to be remembered for their tennis if they're 99 or they're 101. Um, we're going to remember Federer and Andy and Nadal and Djokovic um, and Serena and the people who have changed tennis, but we're not going to remember a specific ranking. Um, and I know from, from my point of view that some of my best tennis, I, I don't even remember results. I remember specific matches um, along the way. Um, but from a Grand Slam point of view, um, I was high enough three times to play US qualies and three times um, I had a surgery um, during that time or missed, I had dengue fever once, um, which meant that I missed that three times. Um, and for me, US Open is a huge, huge goal. I would love to play US Open. Um, Wimbledon is incredible and is my favorite Grand Slam and um, I would love to play at Wimbledon again um, by right. Um, and Australia, I was one out of qualies and I was there signing and I was one out of qualies. And um, the, the lead up to that had been very complicated with um, a torn plantar fascia at the, my highest ranking um, and followed by on exactly the same day that I tore my plantar fascia, my appendix burst um, and I was in hospital um, with that. I came back too early because I wanted to make Australia and I ended up tearing my, my upper rec ab in my tummy um, because of the desire to, to play the slam. Um, so I've tried to keep in mind that it will happen if I keep doing things correctly. Um, and with doubles, as you know, Dan, there's a real element of finding the right partner and the right yeah. moments that you can take the opportunities. Um, but step by step, because first you've got to get into tournaments, you've got to get to the tournament, um, and once those things happen, then you give yourself a chance. Um, and before I stop playing, I would love to play. Um, I, I would. I don't mind to play the French, but clay court tennis is is not my is not my uh, forte. Um, but more than anything, for me, that and also for my parents to watch me um, play at those slams would be would be a massive goal for me. Awesome. And Em, you've touched on your, just to change a little gear, you've touched on the injuries, you know, and 
you said, if I'm correct, seven injuries that have been out for longer than six months. Yeah. It's a lot. It's how, a lot. How have you dealt with that? How, you know, how, yeah, how's that whole, talk, talk through that process. Yeah, I would say that's definitely the toughest, that's definitely the toughest thing about playing for me. Um, I was really unlucky. My, my first one, I was on court in Cardiff playing a challenger and I served and volleyed at one all in a tie break in a singles um, in a singles match and I broke my ankle but I smashed it to pieces in, in three places ruptured two of the ligaments it's still got metal in there now um, I was lucky that I was in Cardiff because I could um, get surgery close to home where I live in Bristol yeah. um, but that first one really kind of started the catalyst I was nine ten months out with that um, it also changed a lot in my mindset about what I wanted to achieve um, and in the year that followed coming back from that was when I achieved my first round win at Wimbledon um, and a lot of my top 100 wins. Um, so it's a flip side of it because it also totally was a catalyst for my career as well as, as stopping me in my tracks completely. Um, the other two ankle injuries that followed were probably a result of playing pro sport with metal in my ankle um, and were just, you know, percentage of the cartilage was removed attended all kinds of things going on with the actual ankle um and i'm most grateful during that time for the people around me my mom put up with me being in the worst possible mood you can imagine um yeah. and seeing all the work that i put in with my ranking just drop and drop and drop and at the time you could only protect your ranking if you were top 200 at the time and i was like 280 um so and now they've changed it to 300 actually so i could have protected my ranking um but i think throughout those seven surgeries that i've had um four times i've come back from from no ranking um back to three two two fifty three hundred in singles um and it gets harder each time you see people moving on you see people that you've beaten um a lot of the physio and the rehab i did by myself because i couldn't afford physio um, the first couple of operations went on credit cards, which I then ended up getting into trouble by not paying, not being able to make um, the payments on those credit cards um, and then finding part time jobs to be able to do that whilst trying to come back. It was just chaos. Um, but each one gives you a certain strength. Um, and when people complain about wanting time off from playing or when they complain about traveling, I just think you're so lucky to be healthy and to be playing um, that any time, that's why any time I have when I am um, healthy and, and when I'm able to compete for a full year, um, it's not been rocket science in the past that my rankings then gone up when I've been healthy. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of the things that I now do from a physical point of view, I do to protect anything possible from happening um, from an injury um, point of view. Um, but equally, most of my injuries were were not from, they were accidents or not from, you know, they were, it was just unlucky in some ways. So I think it's definitely taught me a lot of things surrounding it more mentally than anything else. Um, but when you have six months, that's almost three and a half years, I think, taken out of your career, um, you really begin to understand uh, what it's like to miss competing and miss that feeling of, waking up and having a match that day which is the best feeling in the world when you when you're excited to play a match but it's that um, but it, it's, it's also if we and football's the obvious one that i think people think of when we think of sport and, and a lot of footballers talk about how depressed they get when they're injured yeah 
but they're still paid. Yeah. <laughs> they still they still have job security, you know, they're not they're not having to do that. They've 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 got the best treatment, you know, for as part of their as part of their job. And I'm sure things that, you know, not to jump on footballers, especially at this time when people when some of the politicians have been jumping on the footballers. But just to give that example of with tennis, it's one dealing with with the injury. What, secondly, dealing with the fact that you now can't compete, yeah. you then, like you say, your ranking goes down, so you now can't get into the same tournaments that you were able to. You now have no way of making money. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, we we you know can't afford to have the best medical support and advice. You know, all of these things. It's it, it's a cocktail of negativity in, in lots of ways, and and that's again what I think is so so amazing and inspiring about what you what what your story is you know you get knocked down you know you keep going and you know and I think that's going to serve you well in your tennis career but it's also going to serve you well in the rest of your life <laughs> yeah I mean I think I'll just touch on it briefly but um I think when people have a view of me it's not a happy-go-lucky person um and I'm actually not like that and I think what happened around 2011 2012 was that I'd actually been knocked down so many times yeah. by coming back from so many injuries that actually I just totally it was like everything just hit me at once and I totally kind of checked out um, of life during that time um, and got very very I was clinically depressed at the time um, I was struggling to sleep for months on end and I think the toughness that comes um, which you fight against and the, the resistance to be positive. Um, it, oh, you're such a positive person. It's not easy. Um, yeah. And tennis is the worst sport. Um, and a lot of the therapy and a lot of the things that I've gone through um, has highlighted that even more, that we are so isolated yeah. as individual athletes. And I think mental health it's, itself is still not spoken about enough. It's beginning to be, yeah. um, but it, especially um, amongst young men still not spoken about enough um, and I think it's crucial that within all of the ever all the training at academies like you do and and the way that children are brought up with sport is that that side of things is taken care of um, I think we're really lucky that we grew up in a time when social media um, wasn't around um, because I was just outside playing sport and just running around in the street and just playing every possible sport I possibly could um, or you know playing in the stream or whatever I, I certainly wasn't anywhere near technology um, and I think that's something to bear in mind as well during this time is that I think people um, have had more chance to do that but from a, from my point of view and from my career um, I would say yes it's great that I've come back from all those things but there's definitely some scars um, both physical and mental um, from doing that which have made me stronger but also um are very very tough um to accept and i think that's why you become in yourself you become very aware self-aware um because i now know there's certain flags when you know depression doesn't go away and it can come back from time to time um but i now have ways to deal with that and ways to be able to realize that um tennis is just a game and and your happiness and your well-being is much more important um than being a tennis player very good Emma. and for, for anybody listening 
that is because we, to a degree, I think pretty much everyone goes through some form of mental health problem. You know, it's not, it's, 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 it's a very challenging side of anything. What would, what would your advice be to people that are going through difficult times themselves? Because especially during this time, I think it's, it's causing a lot of that as well. Um, I think it's very down, it's very much down to the individual. Everyone had a lot of ideas to give me during that time. And I wasn't too, um, interested in listening to any of them. I just felt that nobody could understand the position that I was in. Um, and even the people closest to me um, couldn't understand why someone with what they deemed everything with the world at their feet um, could be that sad and that unhappy. Um, and I think what I've learned with hindsight from that time um, is that although you want to withdraw um, from people and from the people closest to you, um, family, and your closest friends are the most important people um, to be surrounding yourself with positive people and people who you don't have to pretend um, when you're around. Um, so I think the people you surround yourself with is definitely the most important. Um, but I'm also a very strong believer that if you're physically fit and in good health, um, I think that leads to better mental health. Um, from being from being disciplined with yourself physically um, that's also been a saving grace for me um, that I'm able to translate that to then well if you're working three three hours a day on your physical um, stuff then you can at least do 20 minutes half an hour um, it should be more on your on your mental health um, that's something that I've really tried to bring in, um, which there's no excuse for. There's absolutely no reason why everyone can't find 20 minutes a day to, to work on, on themselves and on their own um, mental health, whether that's reading, whether that's meditating, whether that's um, religion, whether that's um, being happy and sitting down and having a glass of wine with friends. Um, it doesn't matter what it is, but there has to be something that's just for you um and that is for you as a person fantastic fantastic and i and, and from your from your social media again it's the, the world we live in i follow your life and i've noticed that wine seems to be <laughs> which is good <laughs> yeah there's two things that i need i just need a good cup of coffee and a good glass of wine and that's all i need in life i think um i literally i it's something that um, I didn't ever used to <laughs> need, um, but it sounds terrible. Um, everyone must drink very responsibly. Absolutely. Um, Let's get that out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I've just given myself a break, like I, not during this time, but overall, like I work as hard as I possibly can in the day. And then when the day's done, like normally at tournaments, I actually also relate it to getting out of a tracksuit and putting on yeah, normal yeah. clothes and going for a nice dinner or having a good glass of wine once or twice a week. Um, I love going out. I love socializing. Um, but that's something that um, you have to be done. That has to be done at the right time with tennis. Um, but I think I've done too much both ways. There was an area of my career when I was doing that too much. And then there was an area I can just go weeks and months on end of being an absolute zombie and doing yeah. nothing 
apart from playing tennis um, and being like, I must be like this. I must be super disciplined. But it's getting um, that lifestyle, isn't it? I think it's, mm-hmm. and again, that would be, it's a perception because obviously I, I'm, I, I haven't seen you or being close to you physically, but in terms of, you know, seeing what you, what you, what you seem to be doing with tennis, it, you've bought into the lifestyle and you've brought your life into your tennis world. You know, and I can I can relate to that with the academy. That was something a few years ago I made my mind up. It's not a job. Yeah. It, it's the life. You know, this is a life that I've chosen and the family have chosen and we're gonna we're gonna live our life within that. And yeah, I think the difficult thing with tennis is that when you're away, when when most people go to work, they go to work, they come home and their job for the for the day is done. Um, but when we're away and we're on tour of course you've put the work in that day whether it's a match or whether it's a training day and that and your work essentially is done but your the way you eat and the way you socialize that evening does have an impact on the next day um so therefore it has to be your 24 7 on as an athlete and yeah. I think within that you do have to find enough downtime yeah. um, otherwise you will literally go absolutely crazy yeah. um it's why when i'm when i'm away i always try and something the city um if i can i didn't used to i used to think oh no it's affecting my rest if i go and see do half an hour sightseeing um or if i stay up later and have three glasses of wine instead of one then oh you know that's that's a disaster but actually for me it's not a disaster it's what keeps me sane and that enables me to then get up at eight in the morning and do my heels um or go and play a practice set when i've lost the you know the day before um but it without that um without that time and that downtime i think that balance is just so so important and to younger people listening to this younger tennis players especially soto tennis younger tennis players a couple of glasses of wine not jaeger bombs in the eye (laughs) (laughs) well i mean i wouldn't say i mean come on dan you know me i I enjoy i enjoy a dance floor um but um from a that's that's a timing you know i don't i don't go out out and get smashed um very often now um i would i i do enjoy doing that uh, but um a couple of times a year or during time when you, you know you've got yeah. some time off for sure um but from a from a couple of glass of wine yeah. or a glass of wine with dinner and a great conversation um yeah and yeah that's absolutely for me or if that's if your thing is you know watching football or going shopping or whatever your thing is if you've got any money to go shopping um, (laughs) (laughs) then why not um do whatever makes you happy but make sure that you do have some kind of life balance in there because you know my mom said to me and i think it's probably the most important piece of advice that anyone's ever given me um was that you're a person a lot longer than you're a tennis player um and you really are we have all of this it's great and we've got goals and it's all very important and everything else um but in the scheme of things um after we're gone it's just how how you will be remembered as a person and the people's lives that you touched when you travel when you're at dinner when you're at a tournament when you're in an academy um will remember you as a person um and uh, hopefully won't remember your backhand drop shot return. Yeah, and, and your, but, but also with that as well, and I'm on the other side of it, and again, I wouldn't name names, but it, at the time when you're in the tennis world, we, we sometimes are labelled by the number next to our name as well. And like, it's, it actually, it hit me fast when I, when I got onto the other side 
and then I set up my own business. And there was then people asking me for a job that had maybe had a had a high or a lower number, higher number in terms of how we look at it as tennis. And they're now asking me for a job because they're struggle, they've struggled to transfer their, their skills into what they do. You know, and I think that that perspective, it's actually, you know, the way that you, your mum said that is, is a beautiful way to say it. You know, because that's very much been one of the philosophies we've tried to bring through as an academy. You know, it is that it's a short, it's a short career. It's like, you know, even within that, I think that thing of of how you present yourself as a person and and not as an athlete, those those things have to at some point come in line with each other Um, because tennis is what I do. But at the moment, it's also there's an element of it when you go week after week after week when it becomes who you are. Um, And actually, it shouldn't be that way. Um, The the person that you are and the strength that you get from being who you are and and your family um, around you is actually something that you're going to have for the rest of your life. Whereas tennis, um, like we said, is going to be, you know, for me, it may only be another couple of years. Um, So I think... And, and but with that on that subject, I do think it's very important that all the other things that you can do around your tennis to keep your mind active and educated um, in things that you're interested in and in basic education, I really believe in so much. Um, you know, for every Sharapova and for every person that that goes pro at, at 14 and, and doesn't have schooling behind them, um, there are 500 people um, who you know are struggling because tennis as we've covered um doesn't doesn't give you a good living um and that you will need at some point those basic life skills that come from having a good education and from from being mentally very alert to everything that's around you yeah and um, you're a it's it's a brilliant conversation i could have it for hours you're a you're a deep thinker you know and and that which is which is fantastic and i think the conversation we've got into some really nice deep deep places my last bit before i lighten it a little bit subtle sexism in tennis yeah what are your thoughts um i think it's very much there i think the endless commenting on outfits and um the way that people play is something that irritates me the most on a day-to-day basis it's very small um, like you say, it's you'd almost not notice it um, unless you're a female athlete watching tennis. Um, and it's definitely um, something that needs to change, um, even from a game style point of view. Um, yeah. I think it's we've gone through the era that all girls hit the ball hard and flat and everyone else needs to play that way. Um, yeah. You can't do that because you're a girl. You can't, you can't come into the net um, because you're a girl. And that, sh- that it, def- it definitely, there's absolutely no reason for it to be like that anymore. I mean, it hasn't progressed in the last 20 years from that point of view. It's starting to change. Um, but for me, as a really, as a, as a female athlete, but also as someone who I'm not the girliest of girls. Yeah. Um, and I still feel like I'm able to combine um, being um, a female with, with playing top level sport um, but doing it in a way that um, perhaps my sport is more spoken about than how I'm looking on the tennis court. Yeah. Um, and not once would you, you rarely hear a commentator talk about guys' outfits um, or, you know, the shape that they're in at that particular time. Because unless you go and test someone physically, yeah. you, actually, you actually can't test the shape that someone's in 
um, unless you test them physically. And yeah. you know, looks can be deceiving. Sometimes someone can look in great shape, but they won't have put the work in. And sometimes someone cannot look in great shape and they will have put the work in. Um, and I think it's something that, that really does need to change. And also, from my point of view, I wish that there was more girls playing, particularly in, in Great Britain. I wish that there was more girls playing the sport. Um, and there's such a high dropout rate between 14 and 16 um, of players who drop out, which I think is for a lot of those reasons that tennis does not seem a cool thing to do. Um, and it is cool. Um, yeah. I think it's up to us as female athletes to yeah. show that you can be strong um, and you can be um, a female playing sport um, yeah. whilst you know, maintaining all the other things in your life. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's something I have. I have two young daughters and I think it's it's definitely something since I've been a dad that I've noticed more and more. And 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 then obviously I think Andy Murray's been amazing with this yeah. as well. You know, even, you know, from now on, I, I'd be very conscious now, whereas maybe 10 years ago I wouldn't have been, who's going to win the Australian Open? Yeah. And, and then... <laughs> Oh, Federer is, you know, yeah. always have that for me, that sort of conversation, you know, and I think that. Yeah, that, when he picked up on an interview, I didn't hear yeah, oh, female, yeah, which athlete has won, and he, and he said, oh, apart from the Williams sisters, you mean, yeah. Exactly. And I love Andy for that. I love he's having him. And he's, and I think he's, he's played a big role in that. And it's, but if I even, if I look at Spain, where my children have been brought up, Actually, tennis is all, it's almost tennis and dance are almost the only sports that are out there. So, I, so actually, in terms of UK, I think they're a bit further ahead in, yeah. in, in lots of ways. I, I also think as a sport, tennis is much further ahead than if you and I always think if we talk about name the top top 10 most famous athletes, female athletes of the last 15 years, people would probably say eight or nine tennis players. Yeah. So, so, so I think tennis is doing a great job compared to, compared to other sports, but, yeah. it's, but it's absolutely there and it's yeah. still there and it's something that as a sport we need to continue le leading the way. If you were to give one or two things that you think could make the biggest difference in that. So let's take my daughters. When my yeah. daughters are 18, they yeah. just see it as a complete equal and, and it's where we want it to be. What would they be? Um, I think, yeah, I'll just quick, I'll just go back on that. I think I was really lucky. My mum's a PE teacher um, and she was a pretty tough PE teacher. Um, so from a young age, I played all kinds of sports um, and I played cricket before before yeah. women were playing cricket. You know, I was at the cricket club where I played tennis, messing around with, you know, nine or 10 older boys throwing a ball around, um, which is probably why I can serve, like I can serve. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did hockey, I did athletics, I did running, I, you know, every single sport you can think of. And from a multi-sport point of view, yeah. Um, I think that's put me in great stead for my tennis. Yeah. Um, I wish I played football from a foot, um, foot speed and foot, control um point of view um i did a lot of dance and i think everyone should dance because from a coordination and everything else i think that's cool as well um but as a grounded athlete with all of those different elements um i think that's a good start where people are concerned that you that girls this i was part of the this girl can i don't know if you've seen that hashtag but hashtag this girl can. um and i created a video for them where it was, you know, can you throw like a girl? Can, can you hit like a girl? Can you run like a girl? 
um, and showing that we can. Um, And, you know, there's obviously people like Andy will help a lot more than somebody like me coming in and saying that. Um, But when a guy comes out and says that, it has so much more value. And I think a lot of that from Andy comes from a great upbringing from Judy um, and from having strong females around him. Um, that he really trusts in. Having said that, I love the thing for female coaches and I love that academies are starting to be a little bit more balanced with that. Um, But it still has to be who's right for the player. And I think from my point of view, um, it would depend very much on who that person was as opposed to whether they were male or female. Um, So it's still the best person for the job rather than um, necessarily seeking out a female coach. Which is the ultimate mindset of where we want to get to as yeah. well, you know, because it's actually, it, it is actually subtle sexism in my opinion when it's, okay, we want to have a girl on our staff, so we'll bring a girl in to, yeah. to, to tick the girl box, you know, to who, who is best for, who is best for that yeah, role. Job, but taking that out there from what you, you asked about your girls is that I think we've all got a responsibility um, to our little ones who are growing up and to people around us um, to show that, even with our speech, um, with the way that we watch sport and the way that we incorporate things. And we're all guilty of it. Um, You know, even I say when I'm coaching, well, that one looked a little bit girly. Um, If my player does a slice backhand and they do a heel flick that looks girly and less athletic, which is how I should have phrased it, um, yeah. than, than how it should be. But, you know, and th- you've got to be realistic with that as well. There's, there's a reason why um, also guys are still moving quicker than we are um, yeah. on the court and why they can still hit serves harder than we can, mostly, yeah. um, to a certain extent. Um, but I think you've got to, it's a way and it's a responsibility that we all have to, to females that we need to encourage them as much as possible because sport can give them so much and it doesn't matter um, if you're female or male within that. Absolutely. And what does the future hold for you? Um, right now, I've got 20 times 100 metres to bring well, it right back down. The immediate future, come on. Yeah, five, um, five, six, seven years. Eight, oh, let's oh, Not even to put a time frame on it, but when your amazing plane journey does end, and, and this could absolutely continue, there's no reason why you couldn't continue in your 40s if that's what you want to do. Yeah. You know, and, the, and there's players out there that are doing it. You know, but when that playing career does end, what's next? For me, um, I would love to be involved um, with sport on a day-to-day basis. So I don't believe there's enough females presenting sport. And I would love to be on the TV in in some capacity. I've done a fair bit of commentating, um, but I would love to present. And not just tennis. I love my athletics. I love gymnastics. I love hockey um, and rugby. Um, and I would love to be able to present in that way. Um, yeah. I would basically love Sue Barker's job. I would love to present Question of Sport. That's, a, that's a, just a dream, but um, I would yeah. love to find a way to make that happen. Um, yeah. But more than that, um, I do intend to write a book, um, which will be um, in the future when I finish playing, but will be a, hopefully a more realistic view that people could have of the tour. There's a lot of a lot of fun stuff in there as well, but a lot of the tough times to have to, yeah. to create a better awareness for that. Yeah. Um, I was asked more recently if I was looking to stand on the, the player board for the ITF. Um, and it's not something that I'd like to do right now. Um, I feel that in the future, um, I would like to be involved in tennis 
um, not necessarily from a coaching point of view, um, yeah. but definitely to try and help the sport evolve. Yeah. Um, but so many things. I, I can't imagine myself not traveling. I, I can. That's the one thing that I find hard um, is I'm somewhat I do enjoy my traveling. Um, and in the future, I would like to be able to incorporate that into a job. Um, but then on the flip side of that, maybe in five years time, three years time, I'll be absolutely sick to death of it and want to stay in one place. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure no. Pretty is um, taking as much care of mum and dad because they've <clears throat> taken such good care of me um, and supported me to, to the best of their possible and more um, means. So I would like to be able to repay that um, for them in, in the next few years as well. Fantastic. Well, you you certainly articulate yourself extremely well. You you do you write very well because I've also read some of the things that you write. So I'm sure, you know, with those skills and your experience and your amazing experiences and inspiration, I'm sure there's lots of avenues you can go. But we're not wishing you away from playing yet, just yet. Yeah, I'm excited about the future. But right, but first of all, it's my the next few years. I want to throw everything in to the next couple of years um, and. Uh, until I until I stop enjoying this beautiful sport, then I'm going to keep playing it. Perfect. We're going to finish with a little quick fire round. Okay, I'm ready. There's nothing <laughs> too tricky in here. No, there's nothing too tricky in here at all, actually. You're going you're gonna to slip something in there that's tricky. I feel no, it. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Um, doubles or singles? Doubles. Domestic or abroad? Abroad. Wine or water? Wine. Easy or grind? Grind. You've answered a lot of these already. Travel travel or settle? Travel. Hate settling. Can't imagine settling. Serve or return? Serve. And I'm now trying to give us a quickish answer. About 45 minutes ago, I said I had two questions. I asked two questions and we never moved on from the first question. <laughs> <laughs> What one rule that you would change in the game? I would make the time between points 10 seconds. Would you? Yeah, can't stand it. I just, I just can't stand the waiting around. It just does my head in. Um, I think if you're fit enough, you recover in that time. Um, I think if it's 10 seconds and there's leeway for 15 seconds, but if it's 20 seconds and there's leeway for 25, and I'm the most impatient person ever and I play extremely quickly between points, um, and I just think tennis would be so much more watchable um, if people were able to um, get on with it and actually play points without um, waiting around too much. We saw that impatience before anyone knew, before the podcast. Emily was messaging for for about fifteen minutes nonstop before the podcast, asking us when. Well, I didn't know so. what I was doing. I, I needed to know exactly what I was doing so that I could be prepared, and then I'm fine. <laughs> So, um, but I'm not. The, I'm working on it. Coaching is helping my patients. I'm becoming. Yeah, it will have have some kids, and that'll help you even more. <laughs> but in terms of just a, a quick little story on the on the thing that you said, because having worked with a lot of players over the years, what I've noticed is players don't like to do things that they then don't like in others. So, yeah. and it, so I was working with a girl actually, and she rushed and whenever whenever she was nervous angry frustrated like rush 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 so so we brought in the word time as part of her routine that you know that she, and for, for a little while it worked and she managed to take a little bit more time and then i would start to during matches 
I'd actually stay, you know, maybe look at her and say, come on, take your time. And after one match, I could see she was annoyed. And, you know, sometimes it can be a little bit mysterious with players as why they're a bit annoyed with you. But like any relationship, you know why. And I said to her, I wish you'd stop telling me to take my time. So anyway, later on at dinner that night, we got talking about it. And basically she said, I hate it when girls take, they, they all take their time so much and they flick their hair and they do this and they do yeah. all of this and, and it really annoys me. So, so we had to create a different way of trying to get her to just to slow down. It wasn't necessarily take 20 seconds in between points. It was more just to try and just calm a little bit and breathe. And, so I think actually breathe yeah. might have been the word that we ended up using. Yeah, you know, I'm guilty of rushing myself um, and I need to, I always need to take my time more than I do. Um, but it's more, it's the rest of the points when it's not like that, that I really, that's one thing I would take away. Um, I just thought of actually one which I would even put above that, um, which is I would take out the medical timeout rule. Um, yeah. I think it's a load of absolute rubbish and I think people use it tactically way too much, more so on the women's side than the men's. Um, I think the only time that you should be allowed to call somebody on is to call on if you want to ask if you continue, if it's career threatening or not. Yeah. Um, and I think if they can do the retape at the, a retape of something um, in the change of end, then it should be done in the change of end. Yeah, um, but there's so little that a physio can do in those three minutes that makes any difference whatsoever um, to the player. Um, and I think Andy came out a while ago and said that you should forfeit. Um, I think it, he said you should forfeit your next service game a couple of points or something. Um, and I agree with that. There's so many times when I've been playing matches and the momentum of the match has changed because people take a medical timeout for no reason at all. Um, what to change the momentum? Yeah, but to, and and I just think it's rubbish for the sport. Um, it's it's rubbish for people watching. Um, and I also think it creates an attitude with players of um, that that's a good thing to do. Someone's telling them that that's a good thing to do. Um, yeah. and the ethos of good sportsmanship and, and everything else, I think it's a terrible thing to do. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I've been on the court and one leg and I'm still not going to call someone on because yeah. physio can do nothing in three minutes, three months, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's definitely one of the biggest and toilet breaks. Ah, uh, yeah, toilet breaks, disaster, absolute disaster. Kim Kleister's best idea ever: put a portaloo behind every single court and see if see if people would still take a toilet break if you, if it's right behind the court and not a ten minute walk away. I had a WTA match in China this year. They, it was a twenty one minute toilet break because she had to walk back to the stadium and back. And then she took two medical timeouts in cons it, like consecutively, three minutes and then three minutes for a blister on one foot and then a blister on the a different toe of the same foot. So I was sitting down for like seven, eight minutes and 21 minutes for a toilet break. Can you imagine? I was going crazy. <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, it is. Yeah. You know, gave a, go and see the doctor for your bladder issue. If that's, really, <laughs> that's really the case. At least they're hydrated. I guess that's it. <laughs> <laughs> have a pee before you go on the court yeah. so, so there we had we started deep and we ended up talking about blisters <laughs> yeah <laughs> we've done the full we've done the full journey emily amazing loved loved connecting and talking to you and, and i'm sure everyone will love listening to, to your story yeah i really enjoyed it and good luck with everything i hope the academy 
um, gets back on its feet and, and is able to open soon and Spain does as well. Um, and for all the players that um, come back, you're very lucky um, to have an amazing academy um, to train at and to be part of and to have such a great positive support team around you. So relish your opportunity and keep enjoying playing. Thanks very much, Emily. You take Thanks care. Thanks very much, Emily. Thank you. We hope you enjoy the show, guys. A big thank you to Emily, who spoke beautifully throughout. I know listening back and editing the podcast, time flew by for me. I hardly had to stop and, and have any edits because she articulated herself so incredibly well. The, the learnings were rich. The experiences are inspirational. You know, for somebody that's had one major injury in their career to know how difficult that is to come back from. But for Emily to come back from seven is, is absolutely incredible. And the way that she does it all with a smile on her face and she continues, we wish her the very best of luck in the rest of her career. She's got some big fans over at Soto Tennis and, and Mac X Tennis who will be following her all the way. Thank you guys for listening. Please do subscribe so you don't miss out on, on the podcasts that are going to be coming your way. And, and let's share and get these podcasts going far and wide because the messages in there are amazing for up-and-coming players, parents and coaches. And we don't want people to miss out. I'm Dan Keenan, my co-host, John McGann. Control the Coronables. Thank you for listening. <laughs>